0: What's up, Relentless Church? Welcome, y'all, welcome. Yeah, my name is Raf. Uh, I am super excited to be here with you all live and in person in the room. So happy to see so many faces. And for those of you watching online, we're so grateful for you. Thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning. Um, This is week two of a series we kicked off called Losing My Religion." Losing my religion. Now, religion in the context of, of this series, the way we're talking about it, when we say losing my religion, we're talking about the culture of rules, culture of rules that, that a lot of people think of, quite frankly, when they think about church, when they, when they think about God and they instinctively hear that, that, that voice of, of rules, that voice that says, uh, you can't do that, don't do that, right? No, just straight up, no. A lot of us, a lot of people, that's, that's the view of God, just, just an angry father figure saying no. No. Um, I watched a movie, a pretty good movie with my kids last weekend, actually as a family. Uh, it was called Yes Day. Does anyone see that movie called Yes Day on Netflix? I won't ruin it if you have not or if you want to see it. Just the, the, the whole premise is that there are these two parents who uh, are, are um, they're always saying no to their kids and, and they're kind of uh, distanced relationally and their kids are kind of um, uh, disobeying and they don't know what to do with themselves and they come up with this idea to just say yes to everything their kids do, for everything their kids ask for 24 hours. Just yes to everything. And so, uh, as you can imagine, hijinks ensue, and it's a crazy day, and it's a, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty fun movie. But it got me thinking. It convicted me, actually, because um, my, my, um, my starting point, like my parenting style, is to start from a place of no. <laughs> like, straight up no. <laughs> like, they would not even ask the question yet. Like, they can't even, debt, nope, <laughs> no. <laughs> Answers, no. Like, that's me, right? And, and uh, luckily for my kids, at least, uh, my, my wife balances me out a little bit. She's, she's more of the yes Person, right, and, and and I think that's good to, to have a balance. But again, just in watching that movie and and um, listening to, to David's uh, message from last week, where he he, he talked about the um, watching old home videos and and just hearing his voice in the background, just you know teaching his kids, correcting his kids. Don't do it th-. and I was like, man, that is the soundtrack of my life. Like that's the soundtrack of our house. I don't have the 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 audio video proof, but if you were just to sit at my dinner table on any given night, that's that's what you hear. Right, and, and so um, I just I feel like as I've been thinking about it, I've I've settled into this um, this approach to parenting that's that's law based, this this rules based approach to parenting, where where there's just a whole lot of commands. Right, eat your food, sit down in your chair, don't jump on the couch, don't hit your sister, stop trapping your brother, don't throw rocks at the house, please, <laughs> don't 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 eat spaghetti with your hands. Please don't put your spaghetti hands in your hair. These are real examples, y'all, of stuff that's happened in my house in like a week, okay, in the past week, all right? And so um, some of y'all feel me, right? Maybe your kids are a little bit older, and so uh, the, the, the commands are, are, are different. They may change, but the external-based parenting stays, stays the same, right? And, and, and so it's, it sounds more like, um, you know, put your phone away at the dinner table. Do Do your homework. Clean your, clean your room, take out the trash, finish your, your, your chores, say your prayers, read your Bible. No, you can't watch that. Don't go to that website. And, and there's nothing wrong with having behavioral standards for your kids. Don't hear me say that, right? In a lot of ways, that's good parenting. That's what we're supposed to do. Right? Set standards for them, teach them right from wrong, teach them how to be uh, productive human beings, right? members of society and, and in, our, in our families. And so don't, don't hear me saying that. I just think that the problems may start uh, or it may, get, it may get harder when we, when we stop there, when we, when we stop at the behavior alone. Okay, law-based or rule-based parenting stops at the what or the behaviors instead of pressing on and getting to the why, which is our hearts. So, so, for instance, I told you those were all real examples from my, from my house in the past week. Uh, we'll take uh, don't trap your brother, right? That's my, my oldest, Narai, was literally setting like booby traps for my, for our son, our youngest, RJ, who's uh, about to turn four in May. She would set a trap for him, like throw a blanket over his head, snatch him up, like grab him, put him in her bedroom, lock the door, and like force him to, to snuggle her, to play whatever she wanted to play, just whatever, right? And she just kept doing it, and he would freak out, and they would fight, and they'd be screaming, and over and over again. We're like, what is going on? And so finally, we, we sit them down, and uh, my, my wife, who's infinitely uh, smarter than I am when it comes to these types of things, she, she uh, wants to get to the heart of the issue. She wants to get to, like, why is this happening? And so she pulls uh, my oldest daughter aside and says, why are you doing this? Where is this coming from? And, and come to find out, uh, she feels like RJ and Gigi, our middle daughter, um, are really, really close and that he loves her more than him and he doesn't want to hang out with her ever. So her, her, her solution to that was I'm going to bully him into hanging out with me. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to force the issue, right? But now we, now we know where it's coming from and so we can address it. And so, so uh, they come up with this idea. My wife uh, kind of leading them through it, RJ and Narayan, and they come up with snuggle day. So snuggle day is this one day a week. RJ gets to pick the day, but he's going to let Narai snuggle him. They'll sit on the couch together and snuggle and watch a movie. He'll play whatever she wants to play, you know, in her room or, and just the idea is that, hey, your sister really loves you. And she wants you to know that she wants to know that you love her. So we're going to do this thing. And he agrees to it. So snuggle day right now, before we get too excited, snuggle day hasn't happened yet. Okay, we have to keep rescheduling because RJ, my man, keeps pushing it off. Right? <laughs> it was supposed to be last Sunday. Nirai's sitting on the couch, this already getting movie queued up. Come on, RJ, it's snuggle day. He's like, no, no, it's Tuesday. It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday. All right, that's random. Tuesday comes around. No, let's do it Friday. Let's do it Friday. It's supposed to be tonight, so I'll keep you all posted. But so, so we, you know, we got some room to grow, but we at least know what the issue is. We get to the, the heart of the matter. Now, please don't hear me standing up here pretending like we got this parenting thing figured out, okay? Uh, that's not the case at all. In fact, more often than not, um, I, am, I, I stop at parenting the behavior. I stop at, at, at the what. But when I'm, when, I'm really, um, when I'm really in the spirit, when I'm walking in the spirit, when I'm trusting Jesus to parent through me, or <laughs> when I just listen to my wife, I, I, I press on and, and I look beyond the what and I ask the why. And the why questions force us to look at the heart. They force us to, to dig beneath the surface and get to the root of issues. Okay, religion, much like rules or law-based parenting, stops at the what. The focus of religion is the behavior. The focus of religion is external. It's your outward behavior. It's, it's, religion cares about appearances. Religion cares about what's visible on the outside, what everyone else can see. And it, and it stops there. Jesus cares about the inside. Jesus's focus is internal. He cares about the heart because he knows if you address the heart first, then the behavior will follow. We see, we see Jesus make this case in, in Matthew uh, chapter 5. Uh, this is a, a pretty famous passage of scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. And, and uh, in it, Jesus, uh, he, he basically lays out this really extreme set of ethical demands um, that seem quite frankly impossible for any human to follow. But nonetheless, Jesus presses on and he, he lays them out for us. Now, uh, the Sermon on the Mount's like three chapters. We're not gonna go through all that. We're gonna stick in chapter five and bounce around a little bit. But uh, we'll start with, with Matthew chapter five, verse one. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds... He went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So, so Jesus is having a conversation here with his handpicked followers, okay? But there's also a crowd uh, around, a large crowd that's listening in, okay? But he's directing his his. his, uh, his sermon, his, his teaching here, to his followers, to those people who've made the decision to follow him. That's important context because it means the difficult truths that Jesus is about to share were only meant to be lived by those who are in relationship with God. Okay? So... That's the context. We skip ahead a little bit to verse uh, 17, and Jesus starts going in on the law. He's talking about the, the law of Moses, the rules that the Jewish people have committed to, to follow in order to, to follow God. And here's what he says, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. Jesus wanted to make it clear that he did not come to oppose what God gave Israel and what we call the Old Testament, what they refer to as the law. He's referring to the the Hebrew Bible. right? It was the the word of God. He says, I did not come to oppose the word of God. I didn't come to destroy the, the word of God, but in fact, to free it from the way that the Pharisees and the religious leaders were interpreting it. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. Jesus wanted to make it clear that he had the authority apart from the law of Moses, but not in contradiction to it. He wasn't coming against it. In fact, Jesus added nothing to the law except the one thing that no other man could add, perfect obedience. Perfect obedience. That's that's one of the many ways Jesus came to fulfill the law. And so is Jesus saying here that the law doesn't matter anymore? Is he saying, hey, throw the rules out, do whatever you want? Not at all. In fact, Jesus says, I love the law. I love the law so much that that I'm going to free it from those religious leaders. I'm going to lift it up and interpret it correctly for all of God's people so that they know what God's perfect standard truly is. Then I'm gonna fulfill that law by being the only man to ever walk in perfect obedience to it. Verse 20, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is a shocking statement, y'all. It may not be shocking to us here in the room right now, but to, to the people Jesus is addressing, this was extremely shocking. Okay, this would sort have of put them back on their on their heels. Why? He, he, what's right, righteousness is your right standing with God, and and in this in this time and day, the Pharisees were perceived to be the very epitome of righteousness. No one was more righteous than them. They had the first five books of the Torah. They had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized, okay? They were known for for their their long public prayers. It was not uncommon to be walking through Jerusalem and see a Pharisee out there just praying for hours for for everyone to see. They tied with perfect consistency down to like the last grain of wheat they had. They gave 10% to the church, to the temple, to God, always, no, no matter what, okay? And they also walked around like moral referees, throwing flags at anyone who they perceive to, to uh, break the rules, to, to be uh, outside of God's law. And so Jesus says, unless we do better than them, unless we're better than them at keeping the law, unless we, we are better than they are at following the rules, then we don't have a chance at entering the kingdom of heaven. We got no shot of getting in the, the kingdom of God. Now, it's not a very encouraging message, is it? Here's the thing. Here's what Jesus is kind of driving at. When Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter one, in the, in the beginning, when they, when they made the decision to live life on their own terms, when, when, when they decided to act independently of God, at that moment, sin entered the world and it invaded every human heart. The apostle Paul describes it this way in, in the book of Romans. Through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, For there is no one righteous, not not even one. For all have have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is what Pastor David was talking about last week when he said, we are all hopeless, helpless, and headed to hell. He didn't say that to to shock and awe. He didn't say that to, to make you feel uncomfortable. It's just, it's the facts. It's the truth. This is the reality of the human condition outside of Jesus Christ. So, what are, we, what are we supposed to do about that? Try harder? White knuckled, just grinning and bear it? Do better, Christianity? Try harder, Christianity? When we know we don't have a chance? Or, or do, we, do we go to the complete other way? We just give up, throw in the towel. I might as well do me, right? I might as well live my life because I got no chance anyway. I can't be like, I can't be perfect. There's gotta be another way, right? Isn't there a better way option? Uh, according to Jesus, there is. You see, the righteousness of the Pharisees was external and, and outward. The teachers of the law, their, 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 their righteousness was for show. Jesus actually says as much in one of uh, many, the many encounters he has with the Pharisees uh, later on in Matthew chapter 15. Um, Just to set the scene for you, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they accuse him. They think they got him because they catch his disciples eating dinner without washing their hands. And and so so they come to Jesus and say, hey, why are your disciples uh, Jews in this day? The the law was a ceremonial cleansing before they ate. And and, and so Jesus' disciples didn't do that. They were hungry. They just went in. And the the Pharisees come accusing Jesus, hey, your guys are breaking the law. What's up with that? You're supposed to be some great teacher. You don't even follow the law. And here's how Jesus responds. Verse 7, Matthew 15. You hypocrites. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Human rules, human man-made religion. The apostle Paul, right? We we talked about how he described that last week. This is where Paul gets that from. He gets it from Jesus and he's speaking again. Man-made religion. A few verses uh, later, we skip ahead to, to verse 17, and, and uh, at this point, Jesus' disciples are asking him about that encounter. Like, Jesus, you, uh, most people don't talk to the Pharisees like that, man. I don't know if you know who they are, but what is, where'd that come from? What do, you, what do you mean? What are you talking about, Jesus? And here's what he says. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. Jesus is clearly making the case that sin is a heart issue. Sin is a heart issue. It's about your heart. His focus is internal, not external, unlike the Pharisees. The, the, the doing their good deeds in public for all to see the Pharisees who Jesus called whitewashed tombs full of dead people's bones. He's saying, look, you guys are like these expensive, beautiful, ornate, whitewashed tombs, right? It looks great on the outside, but on the inside, there's a decaying body. He accused them of washing the outside of the cup while leaving the inside dirty. What kind of sense does that make? And through these pictures, through these examples and more, Jesus is revealing a group of people and a religious system that cared more about appearances than character, that that was more concerned with perception than reality. The righteousness of the Pharisees was external, not internal. And Jesus says, I don't want your external behavior. You can keep it. Don't bring me your resume of followed rules. I I don't care about how well you perform in front of others. I care about what's in your heart. I care about your heart. So so Jesus, having already shocked his audience with his initial statement in verse 20, he proceeds with this sermon and he continues raising the bar even higher. Okay, check it out. Verse 21, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with the brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, raka was an Aramaic uh, term of contempt, okay, um, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus is now equating murder with anger, okay? And as if that's, that's not enough, he, he, he turns the heat up a little more. Verse 27, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So in talking about murder and adultery, Jesus is appealing to the Ten Commandments here. The Ten Commandments that the Jewish people would have known very well. They all had it memorized. Murder and adultery were, were all understood to be physical acts. Right. If you took someone's life, you were guilty of murder. If you slept with another person's spouse, you were guilty of adultery. And this is how we still understand these offenses today, right? That's what makes sense to us. Murder is an external act. Adultery involves two people, right? It's not just a rehearsed thought. But Jesus doesn't leave it there. He doesn't stop there. Having reminded us of the law, he then goes on to say, but I tell you, but I tell you, this is another highly offensive statement from Jesus, okay? Why? Well, think about it. The 10 commandments were given to Moses from God, by God at Mount Sinai, okay? And every Jew understood these laws to come directly from God. Now here's this man, this carpenter turned traveling teacher, radical teacher from Nazareth. And, 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 and here he is telling you, but I tell you, who does he think he is? Who, who does this man think he is to be able to, to add or, or subtract or, or, or uh, talk with any authority about the law of God? The answer is God. That's exactly who he is. In saying, but I tell you, Jesus affirms his deity and he shows his authority. He doesn't doesn't rely on the words of the previous scribes and teachers of the law uh, to to, um, interpret for him. Instead, he's declaring, I will teach you the true meaning of the law of Moses. Listen up. I'm gonna tell you what it really means, what it really is. And then he proceeds to move through from the physical realm of the law to the heart. Murder, according to Jesus, is no longer just the the physical act of taking another person's life, but the refusal to forgive. It's it's an angry temper that insults and calls names, that assassinates a relationship. Adultery isn't just a physical act of sex. It's a lingered look. It's It's a lustful thought. It's a fantasy played out on the stage of your imagination. And as he proceeds with this sermon, Jesus continues raising the stakes with every statement. But I tell you, but I tell you, but I tell you. An eye for an eye, you heard it was said, right? An eye for an eye, but I tell you, if anyone slaps you on the cheek, turn your cheek and give them the other one. You heard it was said, love your neighbor, but I tell you, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. You can just feel the anxiety rising with every statement. Think about how these people must have felt. Surely there were some Pharisees there, right? And there, as Jesus is just systematically dismantling this entire, everything they built their life on, their entire system. Man, they must be getting mad. They must be nervous, angry, right? There's, there's anxiety in the room. Then you got some people who um, probably didn't know what they were in for. Surely there were some, some, some sinners who showed up. They heard there was this famous teacher, maybe a friend, a cousin, mom invited them. Hey, let's go check this out. And here he is laying on this, this sermon of, of what it actually takes to get into the kingdom of heaven. And I'm sure they're like, we don't have a chance. We're out. Probably, someone probably dismissed it altogether, just walked away. And then you got the followers, right? Jesus's disciples who are surely hanging on every word, but it, 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 has not, it hasn't missed them. It occurs to them, man, how, how are we supposed to do this? Like, I want this, Jesus, we're with you, but this doesn't sound like anything that, that, that we can actually do. What's he saying? What does this mean for us? Jesus is driving the point home. Sin is not just outward, but inward. It's a matter of the heart. And religion doesn't have the power to change a human heart. Neither do you. Either do I. Jesus finally wraps up this, this interpretation, his true interpretation of the law with this one simple statement. It's the last verse in Matthew chapter five, verse 48. It says, be perfect, therefore, as your father in heaven is perfect. Be perfect. This is Jesus's sermon in a nutshell. If you want to be received in the kingdom of God, be perfect. If you want to get into heaven, it's easy, right? Just just be perfect. Easy enough. Have a great week. (laughs) See you next week. Just be perfect. Never hate. Never slander or speak evil of another person. Never lust in your heart or in your mind, and don't covet anything. Never make a false oath. Always be completely truthful. Don't take revenge, but turn the other cheek instead. Let let God defend your personal rights. You don't worry about it. Always love, not just your neighbors, not just your friends, not just your family, not just the people who are nice to you, but your enemies. That's what it takes to be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. This is what it means To have a righteousness that is greater than that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The very thing that Jesus himself says we must have if we want to enter the kingdom of God. God's ultimate standard of righteousness is himself. And there's only one man in the history of the world to ever meet that standard. Jesus Christ. That's his point. That's that's the point. Jesus knew that God's perfect standard would be impossible for us to meet. That that wasn't his primary intent. He's not laying this out so that we could hear it and then think, oh, I'm a Christian. My life has to be perfect exactly how Jesus just laid it out. That's not what he's saying. Sure, we we should strive to do those things. But but, but again, that wasn't his primary intent. His intent was to draw a distinction, a clear distinction between himself and religion. Man-made human religion. It was to say, if you want to be made righteous by the law, if you think religion is enough, if you think you can be good enough to enter the kingdom of God, go for it. But remember, you must keep the law in its entirety. The whole law all of it external and internal in other words be perfect you think you got that have at it or or you can lay down religion and pick up Jesus religion is man's attempt to get to god man's failed attempt to get to God. Jesus is God's solution for getting back to man. If we could have done it on our own, he would never have to send Jesus. But make no mistake, Jesus showed up because religion couldn't cut it. Jesus showed up because religion wasn't good enough. Okay? In fact, it had become a hindrance. It was doing the opposite. Man-made religion had made it impossible for God's people to to, to experience his transformational love, to truly enter into relationship with him and follow him. Between the hypocrisy of the Pharisees who were walking around puffing themselves up for their external acts, their external righteousness, to the, to the people trying to follow their lead. Again, just white knuckled behavior modification, do better, try harder Christianity, trying to perform their way into God's good graces, all the while fearfully waiting for the other shoe to drop. to the self-professed sinners themselves who thought, no chance, threw their hands up and walked away, dismissed the notion of God's kingdom entirely. So it's not for me. Jesus came to secure for us another way, a better way, in fact, the only way. And who better to explain that way than the apostle Paul? the ultimate Pharisee. There was none more righteous than Paul. No one better at keeping the law than than Paul was. And yet here's the conclusion he came to in Romans chapter three, verse 21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. There's only one way to be made right with God, And it's not through the law. It's it's not by following the rules perfectly. We can't earn it and we certainly do not deserve it. It is by the grace of God. It's a free gift that we receive when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only way to be made right with God. So if it's all about faith, then what about the law, right? If it's all about faith, put my faith in Jesus, I believe, I trust Jesus. What about the rules though? What what about uh, God's perfect standard? Does he not care about that anymore? Can we just forget about those, do whatever we want now? Paul anticipated that question too, verse 31. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law Of course not. Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Here's what Paul's saying. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he gives you a new heart. You you get a heart transplant. He literally transforms your heart. That means he he puts new desires in you. He gives you a new appetite for, for, for life. And then you get to begin, you, you, you begin to, to, to experience God's transformational love. You, you, you get to, to uh, be freed up to be who God always meant for you to be. It's so encouraging for me to hear that, especially from the, from the mouth of Paul. Because if I'm honest, I got a little bit of Pharisee in me. I didn't grow up going to church or, or as a Christian, but, but uh, when I say that, I mean, I've got a little bit of that performance mentality, that performance based earn it, right? I can achieve it. I, I got this. You know, when I think about my story growing up, if you, um, I've got four sisters and a brother. If you were to ask my siblings, any of them, to a person, they would tell you that I was the favorite growing up, right? And I would always deny it, you know? <laughs> You guys are crazy. I know what you're talking about, but they always felt that way, right? And I got special treatment. Now, if I'm being really honest, the, the truth is, um, it's not that I don't, I know my parents didn't love me more than they loved any of them, but at a really young age, I figured out that if I performed the right way, if I, if I followed the rules, if I exceeded expectations at home, at school, at, with my coaches, pretty much anywhere, right? My life got a whole lot easier. And it seemed like I was making other people's lives easier too. And so I was getting all this extra privileges and I was getting praise and everyone was happy with me and everything was good. And so again, I learned that at a young age and I, and I pretty much, that was my way of life all the way through high school into college till I'm in my mid twenties. And it worked great for a while performing for everyone, right? But it was all, it was all a performance. It was all external, right? And, and because I got so good at performing, no one ever thought to ask me why questions. No one ever thought to dig beneath the surface and, and, and figure out what was going on in my heart. And so by the time I got to my mid-20s, the, the stuff that was rotting on the inside started showing up on the outside. All of a sudden, I'm, 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 I'm depressed. All of a sudden, I, I can't um, find peace or rest or happiness no matter what I'm doing, no matter what job I'm in. It doesn't matter who, who I'm dating. It doesn't matter how much money I make. It doesn't matter how much I partied or who I hang out with. I had, there was a hole inside me that I could not fill, and I stopped caring about what I looked like on the outside. And, 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 and all I could think about was how I felt on the inside, and it was terrible, and I was lost, and I just wanted to stop. And that's where Jesus met me. When I was in a place in my life where I couldn't possibly perform if I wanted to. And he said, now you're ready to receive my my transformational life, my transformational love. I want to give you a new heart. I see you, I love you, I'm for you. It has nothing to do with anything you could ever do for me. In fact, I wish you would stop trying and just accept this and let's do life from that place. And that's the moment my life changed forever. And did I become perfect? No, of course not. But I realized that God is a transformational God, not a transactional God. And he doesn't want me to earn his love. He wants to give me his love so that I can go out and love other people the way he's called me to. In his love and in his grace and by his power. God gives you a new heart. The path from sinfulness to holiness, from from greed to generosity, from, from self-righteous man-made religion to, to the performance-free transformational love of God begins with the new heart. And that's what Jesus has secured for us. That's what he offers us. That's what he came to give us when we put our faith in him. And so in just a second, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. Vashti's going to come up and and uh, she's going to sing a, a song for us called Losing My Religion. And, and as she does that, I just, I want to <laughs> give people in this room an opportunity to respond to that message from Jesus. So whether that means you've never made the decision to put your faith in him, you've never... You've never uh, you never said, hey, Jesus, I wanna live for you and no longer myself. I want that new heart. If that's you, we wanna give you an opportunity to respond. For those of you who are here tonight, today, this morning, who, who um, you've been following Jesus a long time, you made that decision before, but somewhere along the line, it went from Jesus relationship to performance religion. If that's you, just in this song, I invite you to really, really have a moment with God and confess that to him and, and and then get rid of it. Get rid of it. I'm losing my religion, Jesus, to follow you, to step into relationship with you. Some of you, you you've known you need to do that for a while. Today's, today's the day. So I'm going to ask you all to just close your eyes and bow your heads. The reason we take this posture when we pray, you can pray however you want. I have this conversation with my kids all the time because... Like, why do we close our eyes when we pray? Sometimes I pray when I'm driving. I have to keep my eyes open then. But, but the reason I ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads is because Scripture tells us that man sees what's on the outside, but God sees what's on the inside. And so, just by taking this posture, we can reflect inwardly on our hearts as we pray. I just, again, I want you to have that moment with, with God. what you need to say to him. People here today who need to make a decision for Jesus, (laughs) Who, who might've been the people in the crowd who didn't even know what they were getting. And they heard about all the rules and it was what they expected. And they said, I told you it wasn't for me. But then you found out, no, it's about Jesus. And he wants to give you a new heart and there's nothing you can do to earn it. You don't have to, it's a free gift. All you gotta do is put your faith in him and start your new life there's anyone here today who's never done that and wants to do that, I invite you now to say this prayer with me. Jesus, I give you my life. I'm I'm sick of doing it on my own. I don't want try-hard, I want you. I believe you are the son of God. I believe you came to set me free. I put my faith in you once and for all. I want to live for you no longer myself. Thank you, Jesus. For my brothers and sisters who like me <laughs> have accepted Jesus, but then went out in the world and started performing again, like, 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 like just falling into bad habits or, or just, and so I got to try and be good enough and I got to look at others and determine whether they're good enough or not. Like today's the day I invite you to say that's over. Let's lose our religion. Let's put on Jesus. Let's be free to be who he's always called us to be. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who, who need to lose their religion today. We want to step into your transformational love once and for all, God. We know we're not perfect. That's why you came and were perfect for us. Now from that place, let us live for you. Let us live with you. God, I pray you would do your work in and through us so that we can affect the world the way you always meant us to. God, we love you. We praise you. We honor you with this song in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, listen, if, uh, if you made a decision of any kind today, um, I, would love to, I would love to talk you through next steps. So, so I'll, be, I'll be hanging out up front after service, and I would love to um, talk to you, walk you through any of that. If you're watching online and you made a decision for Jesus today for the first time, or, or maybe you made a decision to recommit to, to losing your religion and putting on Jesus, I, I invite you to f- fill out a Connect card on, online on our website. We will, we will call you and follow up with you. Um, but yeah, I'll be hanging out up front or uh, email me, call me, but we, we don't, you're, not, you're not in this alone. But I encourage you, um, don't leave it in the room today. Take it, take it with you when you leave. All right, church, come back next week, week three of losing our religion. Love y'all. Have a great week.